What do I do when I am met with lots of anger and frustration during a family meeting? What if there are disagreements? How do I choose what to focus on when there are a lot of things to talk about? Join us as we discuss these questions and more on this episode of Medical Timeout. Welcome to Medical Timeout, a podcast where we discuss all things palliative care. I'm Rashmi Kadilkar. And I'm Chinlin Ching. During our last episode, we discussed very basic approaches to setting the stage for a successful family meeting. Today, we'll navigate language and emotions, which can be the hardest part of a meeting. Rashmi, let's remind our listeners about the hypothetical patient we introduced during the last episode. So we were consulted to help with goals of care discussions with Mr. Smith. Um, remember, he's a man with metastatic pancreatic cancer. Providers are sensing that he is nearing the end of life, yet some continue to offer things like rehab or more treatment if he gets stronger, which the primary team doesn't feel is a realistic goal. You walk into this meeting with Mr. and Mrs. Smith and their daughter. Mr. Smith's brother is also there and their two other children are on speakerphone. After introductions, how do you start or open the meeting? So first, I thank everybody for taking the time to meet. Um, people are taking space from their, their busy day to talk about something really challenging and emotional, and I think that, that we can go a long way by just acknowledging that to start. I then try to make sure that everybody is on the same page about what palliative care is, because I find that there are a lot of different opinions about or, or different beliefs about what palliative care is, um, how it relates to hospice, for example. Um, and so what people think palliative care is can absolutely impact how they view the purpose of our meeting and may give them preconceived notions about what we'll be talking about. And I try to just observe everybody as they're talking, as I'm talking. So in this particular case, as we're observing Chinlin, we see that as Mr. Smith is talking, Mrs. Smith um, keeps shushing him and saying things like, oh, you know, we're not ready to talk about those things or, oh, no, no, we're not, we're not there yet. We're, we're going to keep fighting. We also notice that um, his brother is sitting in the corner of the room. He's sitting there with his arms crossed. You know, he's kind of not making any eye contact with anybody. He's sort of uh, fidgeting. He's shaking his head, rolling his eyes. So is this important for us to know? Yes. Like I said, if nothing else, this meeting is a recon mission, right? So we've learned so much about family dynamics in just the first few minutes. In my mind, I know where we'd like to bring Mr. Smith, um, understanding that his cancer is terminal, that it is unlikely that he's going to get stronger or get more cancer-targeted therapy, um, that his prognosis is likely weeks to months, um, and that he needs to start end-of-life planning. That's where I want to bring him. And now I know we have miles to go, right? So we need to deal with his brother's anger and mistrust, his wife's anxieties and fears about his death. And we need to name the giant elephant in the room. Um, and we need to do it in a way that's not going to alienate, alienate everyone. If I weren't trained in communication skills, I would have nightmares about this stuff too. Um, but here is something really important to remember. It doesn't all have to happen on the first meeting. Um, we need to pick our battles. So we say this all the time, Rashmi, pick your battles. What does that mean? So it means that in an ideal world, 
we are going to wave our magic wand and get everybody on the same page. Mr. Smith accepts his impending death with grace, and he has time to plan with his family, and he dies peacefully, surrounded by his loved ones. But we're dealing with emotional and scary stuff here. So it might take several meetings, and it might take some relationship building to get from where we are now to where we really need to be. We have to figure out how we define a good outcome in this situation. How do we prioritize all of the things that we want to talk to this family about? Picking our battles means that if we can only have one good outcome for this meeting, we have to pick what that one good outcome would be. So is it that we want to get him to a DNR DNI? Is it that we just want to get Mr. Smith and his family to really understand what the trajectory of his illness is going to be? Um, is it just that we want to be able to communicate an honest prognosis? You know, in my earlier, more naive days in palliative care, I used to pick the DNR DNI battle, and I burned out real fast, real, very often, because I spent so much emotional energy trying to get people to say what I wanted to hear. It wasn't about them. It was about me and my agenda, right? Um, and it always felt like a personal failure if someone died as a full code for some reason. Um, and then I realized that there are so many other important battles to fight, um, and someone's code status is really not the end-all be-all. Um, but you won't know what battle to pick um, until you understand the patient's values. So it, we're back there again. These have to be values-based conversations. It has to start with, Mr. Smith, what makes life worth living for you? What makes life meaningful? That's where it has to start. The conversation could be about gardening. It could be about his dog. It could be about spending time with his family or playing an instrument that he loves. Um, then after you hear what his values are, um, your job is to translate that into a medical intervention or medical interventions. Um, Mr. Smith, you told me that you've been playing the violin for 60 years and you can't imagine living a life without being able to do so. What if I told you that X, Y, and Z is going to rob you of the ability to play your violin again? Um, so that's what I mean by taking a value and in sort of cultivating it um, in within the realm of medical interventions that we're really talking about for him. Right, because there are some people who would say, that's fine if I can't play the violin because of X, Y, Z. I am willing to sacrifice and suffer the loss of being at home or playing my instrument or playing golf or whatever it is, if it means that I have more time to live on this earth. And there are some people who would say, no, that's actually my line in the sand. This is something that brings me so much joy that if I can't participate in it, then life really is not worth living for me anymore. And we won't know until we talk to them and find out what their values are. And we can't assume also that what we would find unbearable is what other people would find unbearable as well. You know, we hear stories all the time about people who um, have some kind of event happen to them that they had always thought that they would never be able to go on after. Um, and they find that after they've been in that situation for a while, maybe they've adapted to the point that it's not so bad, that they're still able to find joy, they're still able to find meaning and purpose in their life. So. We can't impose our values on them in that way either. Our job is not to keep meeting with a person until, until we get them to what we want them to say based on our values. Um, our job is to make sure that they have all of the information that they need to make reasonable medical decisions 
based on their values and their goals um, and what makes life worth living for them. You know, Machiavelli was credited with the paraphrase uh, that the ends justify the means. Um, it wasn't meant to justify cruelty, um, but it makes us think about consequences. So for most of us, we're willing to sacrifice and suffer some if it means that we get to live longer. Um, but there is a clear line in the sand. Um, and as you said, for um, for some of us or most of us as we near the end of life, interventions stop prolonging life and they begin prolonging the dying process mm -hmm. and death. Only the individual can define where that line is. Um, so our job is to help them understand how to find it within the world of uh, medical interventions. We are really good at prolonging life. We are not good at prolonging uh, meaningful life. Mm -hmm. Back to my buffet, buffet analogy that we love so much. Um, you know, if you have a patient who tells you that you, they have a gluten allergy, it doesn't make sense to bring them to the pasta bar, right? If a patient is telling you that life is not worth living if they can no longer do something um, like play the violin, then getting chemotherapy that might cause peripheral neuropathy and they can no longer play the instrument um, doesn't make sense for that person. And they would need to know that this is a potential consequence of this intervention we're talking about. Um, and that's what we mean by finding out their values first, and then you can put it within the context of the decisions that need to be made in the moment. Right. Now, again, it's not easy to talk about things that people might be losing or giving up or sacrificing um, in order to, even if, even if it's within the context of their values, there still might be some loss that they have to experience. Um, and when we're talking about losses, things can get really emotional really quickly. And so you mentioned that um, one, of, one of the things that our colleagues um, talk about something they'd like help with is with de-escalating meetings when they start to get emotional. So going back to our case you know, with Mr. Smith, we've already noticed that um, there is a brother present who um, seems pretty angry, seems pretty upset. We know that he's got a wife um, who's there who's just incredibly anxious about all of this. Um, and then on the phone are, and in the room are his children who are, who are scared and pretty tearful. Everybody's quite emotional. And then we also have this patient who doesn't really feel an urgency in having these discussions because he doesn't understand his prognosis. So we will be talking about prognosticating and sharing bad news in another episode, but let's for now um, share some key strategies and some phrases that each of us might use to, to de-escalate a meeting. Well, I love my I wish and worry statements. Um, you'll find that more often than not when a patient and family has FaceTime unlimited FaceTime with the provider, it's going to be festivist for the rest of us. There's going to be airing of grievances galore. Um, and you're going to be hearing about everything from the long wait time in the emergency department to the cleaning staff coming in and taking your tray away. Um, you just let it roll away because that's what it's going to be. Service recovery is something that we do a lot as palliative care providers. You sit and you listen and you let it roll off. But this is my rule. Don't ever say I'm sorry. And for, for most cases, there are some cases that you can. But when you say you're sorry about a whole situation, you're taking culpability and responsibility for a situation that you may not um, take, you shouldn't be taking ownership of, um, and you put yourself in a difficult position whether you realize it or not. So I'll, I'll give you a, uh, an example or a story that happened to me that made me have this rule for myself. 
Um, I was a brand new attending and I was taking care of a couple in their 20s. Um, the patient uh, has had a baby and a toddler at home and she was dying of colon cancer and she was at the end of life. And it was a, a terribly sad situation. And I remember saying, I'm so sorry that this is happening. And at the time, it seemed like a very compassionate thing, thing to say. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember the husband snapping at me and saying, why are you sorry? You didn't give her cancer. This isn't about you. Mm -hmm. um, and he was very upset and it triggered him. And although I know that it was coming from a very deep place of grief, mm -hmm. um, he also really had a good point. It really wasn't about me. And by saying that I was sorry, I was shifting the dynamics and the attention of the, of the meeting to, to me and how I was feeling instead of focusing on them and how they were feeling. So, um, so now I never say I'm sorry. I say I wish and I worry. It's a wonderful way to pivot emotions. Um, so I'll give you some examples. Um, I wish that this weren't happening. I wish that we had more treatments to offer for you that would help. Um, but I'm worried that more treatment is actually going to harm you. I wish the chemotherapy helped to slow down your cancer, but I worry that your cancer is progressing um, and that you're too sick to get more uh, cancer target therapy. I practice my I wish I worry statements all the time in my daily practice, and I encourage our listeners to do so, so as well. We do it all the time in our office, right? Boy, I wish that I had more willpower, but I worry I'm going to get chicken fingers and fries today for lunch again. Um, the I wish and I worry statements work in all situations. That's true. I wish that I hadn't had chicken fingers, hadn't had chicken fingers for dinner last night, but I worry that I, in fact, did. There you go. Um, so... In that vein, another powerful tool that we can use is to reflect back what somebody has has just said to us. Um, so what I just said about chicken fingers, but um, also things like, you know, what I'm hearing from you um, is that that you're very upset that your chemotherapy is on hold right now. When you reflect back something that somebody has just said to you, it gives you time to take a mental break. It gives you time to take a breather if things are getting heated. Um, it also shows the patient and the family that you're actively listening to them and trying to understand um, what they're saying, what their concerns are. I also find um, that in the heat of the moment, naming emotions can be very helpful. So I imagine that this must be really difficult for you to discuss. I imagine that this has been a very difficult few weeks for you. I can see that you're getting angry. I can see that you're getting frustrated. I can see that you look very sad. If you hear in the course of a meeting somebody yelling at you or if there are threats coming out of somebody, again, I can see and hear that you're very angry. Can you tell me more about what's bothering you? You know, name that emotion, acknowledge that emotion. I love the statement that you just said, tell me more. I cannot emphasize enough the power of the phrase, tell me more. Tell me more about why that made you angry. Tell me more about why talking about this makes you anxious. Tell me more about what hasn't worked for you thus far. Um, tell me more about what you mean when you say we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, tell me more about how you've been feeling while watching your husband go through this cancer journey. To Mr. Smith's brother in the corner, can you tell me more about what worries you? Um, tell me more is disarming, it's genuine, and it's honest. And it gives the message that you actually really want to hear and understand what they're saying and feeling. Um, and it also sends the message that you don't want to make assumptions here. You really do want to hear more um, about their experiences. Actually, rush me, I lied. I have apologized before. Um, and, and I think 
um, be, be selective about when you apologize and when you say sorry. Um, it goes along with what we just said about um, naming things. And so um, one of my most emotional um, family meetings I've been in, um, it was during COVID. Um, so we weren't meeting in person. Um, it, it was over the phone. And there were a lot of people on the phone. I had no idea how many people were on the phone and who everybody was. I didn't have the ability of reading the room and adjusting my approach. And something I said must have triggered someone on the phone and they started yelling. And I realized very quickly that they were yelling at me hmm. and they were very angry at me personally, not the situation. Um, and they were accusing me of certain things and it just, it was crashing and burning real fast. Mm -hmm. And I remember at that moment I said, you guys sound really angry at me. And I, I'm so sorry if something I said angered you um, or, or upset you. You know, my intention is uh, not to disrespect you or your father in this situation. Please tell me what, I, what you heard me say that made you angry um, so that we can all kind of take a time out and take a breather and back up a little bit. Um, it worked. I mean, I think everybody chilled out and we were able to salvage the meeting. Um, but boy, was I frazzled. And, that, and you know, I took ownership of it and mm -hmm. I think they appreciated it. And so those are the times like if you really did do something that upset them or if you showed up 40 minutes late to the meeting, mm -hmm. it, it's appropriate to say I'm sorry. Um, but but when I say don't say I'm sorry, it means like don't say you're sorry that they had to wait 30 minutes in the emergency department because that's not uh, in your uh, control. But that may be a way too, if, if you're sensing that there, there is a lot of anger and frustration towards you, there's no room for egos when you're dealing with such emotional stuff. Leave the ego at the door, take ownership of whatever it is you said or did that make they have perceived as something offensive and, and apologize for that. And, and I think that would go a long way as well to de-escalate. De Right. And it's important to remember that, you know, especially right now when when hospitals are understaffed, when everybody is, is so busy, you're bound to hear complaints. You're bound to hear anger. Um, it's, it's good to find a way back to what what the issue at hand is. You know, this is not the time to figure out, you know, how to keep the food that's coming up from the cafeteria from from being cold. This is the time to focus on the loved one that, you know, you, on you, on your loved one, on what the situation is and on, on how we can figure out how to care for you according to what's most important for you. So let's summarize some of the phrases that we use when things are getting heated or emotional. So first of all, those, I wish, and I worry statements, um, which acknowledge uh, the reality and also allow you to pivot to how we might address those, those things that are difficult for the patient and the family. Taking time to reflect back. So things like, so what I'm hearing you say is that, um, or I heard you mention X, Y, Z. Is that, is that right? Did I get that right? It signals an interest in hearing what the patient and family are saying and in understanding what the patient and, and family are saying. And it also gives you a chance to take a step back and to take a breath, to take a timeout within a timeout, if you will. Naming challenges and emotions can go a long way. So I, I imagine this has been quite the roller coaster ride for all of you. Um, and finally, always finish things up with them, wrap up things for them. We've talked a lot today about many important things, 
Um, is there anything else that's really important to you that we should know about? Is there something that you'd like to know about that we haven't discussed yet? That way you make sure that you're addressing what's important to them, not necessarily just what's important to you. Right. And, um, and let's finish up with Mr. Smith's meeting. Um, when I feel like it's time to transition to talk about the elephant in the room, I kind of want them to name it first, mm -hmm. if they will. Um, and so what, the way I do that is I'll, I'll just ask them, what worries you the most? You'll be surprised by what you get back. You'll get everything from, I don't think uh, chemotherapy is working, but I'm not ready to die, to I'm worried I'll never see my dog again, or I'm never going to be able to smoke a cigarette again. It, it varies. Um, but now they're the ones who are naming the elephant. Now they're the ones who brought up death and dying and not you. Mm -hmm. So when you ask that question, what worries you the most, you're kind of prompting them. Um, and more often than not, what, someone is going to mention death and dying is what they're worried about the most. Um, and it's a great segue then to seek permission to talk about prognosis and to carry that conversation over to now that we've named the elephant in the room about death and dying, would it be okay to, to start talking about planning and what that period might look like for you down different paths? We'll be talking about sharing bad news and prognostication, as we mentioned in a, another episode. But the what worries you most statement, I think, has been my most successful phrase that kind of brings yeah. us there. Yeah, you know, going back to the idea that maybe playing the violin is what's most important to Mr. Smith, you know, this is this is kind of like orchestration. You know, our our role here is is to be the conductor, to take um, all of the different people, all of the different instruments, and and put them all together um, into that into that that piece, which is the decision making that that honors what's most important to the patient and to the family. Right, and and as we're conducting this meeting and we're coming to the finale. Um, you know, part of it is is you making sure we're we're all on the same page. So you you ask, can I take some time to summarize what I've been hearing from you? And now you are putting all the pieces together. Mm -hmm. I heard this from you. I heard this from you. Um, and so you know, you're you're coming to the end, and um, and you're talking about possible paths forward. It feels like a natural pivot to talking about something they were too scared to do oh. before. And so the next part of the meeting could be about sharing prognosis. Um, it could be talking about what the different approaches are, including a comfort care approach going forward. Um, so I will often transition to something like that by asking, you know, we've talked about how your life might look going forward on this usual care plan that we've been following so far. Would it be helpful to talk about what a more comfort care plan would look like for you? And then off we go from there. So, Chenlin, this has been a lot of information um, in, this, in this episode. The bottom line for our listeners is that the more you do this, the more you'll be comfortable with it, the better you'll get at it, um, and the more you'll find your own go-to phrases and, and the language that works for you. You know, we've shared some of, of what we tend to say, but of course, um, you want to find something that sounds and feels natural to you in your own voice. Right. Um, and Rashmi, we started a new segment in our last episode um, on uh, diversity, equity, inclusion uh, specific issues. Um, during the last episode, I discussed the need to identify impl implicit biases on certain ethnicities or cultures that we may bring into a meeting. Um, we cannot undo centuries of uh, mistrust in our healthcare system um, that some may have. Um, things that we may say may inadvertently trigger 
uh, emotions of anger and frustration, um, don't avoid those conversations for fear of bringing uh, these deep feelings up. Be prepared to humbly acknowledge them and try to communicate um, within the framework of their of their culture. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and let's let's go on to our pet peeves um, surrounding this topic. Also in our last episode, we talked about things that relate to preparation for meetings um, and the context for the meetings. And I mentioned agendas and, and, and making sure that you're not pushing your agenda um, over the course of a family meeting. So when we bring it down to the actual content of a meeting, um, it's really hard for me when I watch somebody bring in a MOLST form, which we'll talk about more um, in, in a coming episode as well. I, I, it's hard when somebody brings in that most form and uses it as a checklist of all of the things that they hope to cover or even has some other written checklist of everything that they want to cover. I absolutely appreciate that. Um, you know, as you're gaining confidence in running family meetings, you do want to be sure that you're not missing anything. It's just that having a list of things that you want to cover um, kind of means that you're focusing on the trees and you're missing the forest for the trees. Um, and you might miss what's most important to the patient and the family if you're too focused on what you want to get to. Um, that's that's one of the things that's hard for me. How about for you? When when you watch people navigate family meetings, what drives you crazy? Ooh, that's easy. Dangling carrots. Mm. Um, I know it's hard to say there's no more disease-directed therapies that will help because, yes, there's always going to be that 0.03% chance that this or that may, may do something. But dangling carrots is how people find themselves stuck in hospitals on machines without ever having the ability to do the things that they need to do or say the things they need to say. We owe our patients the dignity that they all want and deserve at the end of life by telling them honestly that a potential treatment will not help them accomplish their goals within their values-based foundation. All of this comes with practice. So as much as you can, do this in your own voice. And speaking of your own voice, we'd love to hear from you. So please send us your comments, your questions, your topic suggestions by emailing us at medical underscore timeout at urmc.rochester.edu. This podcast is supported by a grant from the System Transformation Fund through the Safety Net and Program Support Office with UR Medicine. A big thank you to Dr. Kevin McCormick and Nancy Scott for spearheading the grant and for their commitment to palliative care education. Thank you so much to Levi Ganji for the music, and thank you so much to Genesee Valley Media for recording, editing, and producing this podcast. And thanks to you for taking this medical time out with us. We hope you'll join us next time when we'll discuss the most form and how to talk about code status. Have a wonderful couple of weeks.